It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, man. Here, 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 here on Sirius XM. It's our favorite show. I call it our favorite show because it's like my time of just being able to just talk, which a lot of people don't get a chance to do. It's forward progress alongside my partner today, my partner today, Brad Hopkins. I am Kirk Morrison, man. It is a lot that we got to get to, Brad, because... First of all, happy Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth is approaching this week as well. And so definitely uh, now being a sort of a national holiday, more recognized holiday. I don't know about you, Brett. We talked about it before with with, Jackson, uh, with Jason Jackson that, you know, growing up, Juneteenth was more of a community um, engagement, more of uh, the, the African-American community celebrated Juneteenth. And now to see where Juneteenth is now taken off and, uh, it'll be this Sunday, and now you have people who are observing the holiday on Monday. So, just want to give you a shout out and say happy June, early Juneteenth to you, Brad. Man, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Just another step in our evolution, right, brother? <laughs> yeah, another step. You know, yeah, think right. about this. I, I remember the discussion about Juneteenth being, Juneteenth being nationally recognized, and yeah. the, the other half of that was like, "What? <laughs> June? Huh? Do you see what I'm saying?" So. And there's still some of that disconnect yeah, it is. of actually understanding why it's even recognized, you know. So just think that, you know, the obvious foundation of this country were built by people that look just like you and I. Absolutely. And, you know, just just recognizing where we're able to actually acknowledge it. How about that? It's now an acknowledgement. Hey, you know what that is? <laughs> that's forward progress. <laughs> I like it. See that? There it is. Always plugging the show, man. And just to, uh, in a little bit, probably about 10, 15 minutes, we're going to have Wale Agunlier, former NFL uh, defensive end. He's the head of sports and entertainment at UBS. And uh, he'll be talking about financial literacy. And he's got a couple initiatives that he's got going. So he's going to drop some knowledge on us about that. Uh, we got to get into that Jack Del Rio situation, the defensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. He had some comments about the January 6th, uh, the insurrection, uh, had some comments that didn't go over too well with the National Football League, even his own head coach. And he was fine. So we will get into that story a little bit later. But, Brad, I want to start here with you, because there was an article uh, that was published in the uh, Players Tribune last week and it was one in which was brought to my attention by many people who knew that I had a relationship with this person because we were teammates we were friends and everybody uh basically in my group chat said man did you read the article did you read the article I said well I haven't read the article which one are you talking about and it was the article about the former number one overall pick in 2007 Jamarcus Russell quarterback out of LSU and a guy who I would say has a lot of layers to him, just to start with, Brad. A lot of layers to him. But 
he's one of the reasons why the NFL had to change its rookie pay scale because he was a guy that uh, many considered to be the biggest bust in NFL history in terms of a number one overall pick being drafted, handed close to $50 million, and yet only lasted three years in the National Football League. But there was an article just kind of saying, taking you back to understand Jamarcus Russell and who he was as a person, not necessarily as the player, but where he came from and probably what led to his inability to be a longstanding NFL player. So I'll start here. Your first thoughts in reading this article detailing sort of the, the history or the evolution of young Jamarcus Russell, who right now is still only 36 years of age. You know, I think that it first allows us to, to compare notes. Yes. When you start hearing about a guy's background, you know, the story either sounds familiar or it doesn't. And for most of us that play the NFL, I think 75% of us is familiar, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Um, a lot of us didn't come from advantage. A lot of us didn't come from opportunity. Uh, and the the way we lived our lives was just, you know, basically learning how to survive. And then when success comes your way, and that's where you come from, um, how that relationship develops after that, that's, that's the tell of it all, a lot of your success. Because you had dreams when you were playing. And the people that supported you most, they had dreams for you. You know, um, you shared a lot, you know, those late night, those late night uh, uh, hoop sessions. You know what I'm saying? You didn't go by yourself. You know what I mean? (laughs) You didn't go by yourself. You know, maybe you you went to, uh, you know, some camp, you know, some seven on seven camp or something. You probably didn't go by yourself. There's guys that were to your left and to your right. They either dreamed along with you because they have wanted to do the same thing or they were just they saw just how magnificent you were and loved you for, for just who you are, right? And then it happens. You become successful. You are cursed with being the guy that made it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't save everybody, you know? And our first thoughts became almost nationally recognized. So what are you going to do with the first thing you, you know, when you get checked? <laughs> Buy my mama a house. Yep. Not one of them said... I'm going to invest in the best financial situation ever. You see what I'm saying? Right. Mom, I'll get you your house. doesn't have to be right now. Let's do it the smart way. Yeah. Let's build a foundation. Let's build residual income. Let's do all those things that will support us until I'm your age. You see? Mm -hmm. And if you want what's best for me, I want what's best for you. Eventually, we'll get there. It's not over just because, like when... Um, in the article, Jamarcus was mentioning his uncle Ray that had a, a radio show. And uh, when he found out that his son, his nephew rather, had, had you know, s- some some real legit chances to get into the NFL and get paid handsomely, he quit. He quit. You know, uh, so there's pressure on Jamarcus all around him. Think about the decisions that people that love him the most are doing. Yeah. You know, to to help, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think too, and for me, I was a teammate of Jamarcus Russell's. 
I, I was I was the middle linebacker, starting middle linebacker. And I remember we had a young head coach, Lane Kiffin was our head coach. And like, so not only did we have a young head coach who was the or the youngest head coach hired ever in the NFL at the time. Now obviously yeah, Lane Kiffin. Yeah, we, we, this is before you know Sean McVay came into the league at 30. I, the, the youngest at the time, I mean, at the, you know, in NFL history was Lane Kiffin. I mean, who wasn't even a head coach prior to this, was a coordinator in college. Mm. So we had that situation. Then you had the situation of the tug of, the tug of war between owner and coach where the coach wants to draft Calvin Johnson, but the owner wants to draft Jamarcus Russell. And this is being talked about in our building. And so Jamarcus Russell was drafted number one overall. And the one thing that I remember as well was that he held out. So remember, he didn't go to training camp. He missed all of training camp because this is where it wasn't a rookie wage scale. It was you negotiated your deal like you was a veteran and you hadn't taken a snap in the NFL. So he missed all of training camp. He came in, I would believe, maybe a day or two before the season started. So he's not going to play. He's not ready to play. And I remember meeting with him, talking to him. And this dude had a, a, had a big heart, to your point. Wanted to save everybody. Wanted to help everybody. He had a big heart. But the one thing that I can say that, I don't know if it's on the basketball level, this is much. I, I can only speak for the NFL side or even, I can't even talk about Major League Baseball, but Brad, I think when you, players or these high these these college kids don't understand that when you become the number one overall pick or a first round pick such as yourself you were a first round pick you are now sort of the face of a franchise for at least that year or if it's the quarterback you are the face of the organization jamarcus russell at 21 years old was now the face of raider nation was the face of the then oakland raiders and I can look at him and I can tell you, he was not ready for that opportunity. He was not ready for what that entailed. He wasn't ready for the, the, the events where he's got to shake hands. He's got to meet the, uh, you know, the, the, the endorsements or the, the advertisers, advertisers, um, you know, the people who hold, um, you know, the different meetings and things like that throughout the organization. That wasn't who Jamarcus was. He was a guy that I just want to play football. But then I kind of want to do it my way. And then you had what you talked about, the outside people pulling him all different kind of ways, thinking, that, oh, he had already made it, yet he hadn't even played a down yet. So I had to watch this evolution of a young man have so much being put on him at 21 years of age, and he couldn't handle it. He sort of went back into – he just kind of crumbled. He went into his shell – and we never really saw the true Jamarcus Russell who for a period of time that I thought could have been a good football player, but just had so much going on. And it was almost sort of the talent was wasted. And I think that's why everybody has come down so hard on him. Me and you were talking a minute ago where it's, you know, Kevin Harlan, who was talking about Jamarcus when he was at a basketball game and the chains and the watches and the wrists wear that he had on. Or Stephen A. Smith calling him a fat job of the hut. Like people were more upset because of the talent wasted from Jamarcus. And I don't think at a time he just didn't even care. 
oh, it's way more fun to pick at a guy that really just fails in the moment. That's what it is, you know, because it's a unique situation. Rarely do any of us get to experience it, especially at that level. Even though I was a first rounder, I wasn't. There was 12 picks in front of me. You know what I'm <laughs> right. saying? And the pressure mounts the higher up you get, if you know what I'm saying. There's more pressure on you to, to succeed because that's what the investment is from a team level. You're a first pick of the draft, bro. You set the trend from all, all the way down for the rest of the draft as far as cats getting paid. You know, so they expect a lot. And I think that, you know, me being a homeowner now, you being a homeowner now, yeah, the people that I hire to come do things in my house, make sure you're the best at what you do. You know, I'm also cognizant of, of who I give my contracts to. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like if I need some, if I need some paint done, <laughs> I want a guy that first off knows the area, probably a local dude. You know, I'm not going to have some corporate joint come in here that really just doesn't care. And just like, give me a couple options. Right. Um, I, I want some good references. You know what I'm saying? Cause you're in my home. Yeah. You see? And if we start thinking about it from that level, you being a professional, the people that you contract to give you counsel, yeah. to prepare your mind, your body, everything on it, they should be of what you would want to have it be. You see what I'm saying? Mm. Now, I get it. We want to employ family. We want to do all these things and friends, mm-hmm. you know, someone with no experience. And you're like, is that the best opportunity for me? Am I putting myself in the best position? Probably not. You know, hey, you know what? I looked out for everybody. We made it three years, but, you know, <laughs> think about it. You could have made it 13 years if you did it the right way. You know, and that's, you know, that's just, you know, lack of planning for one, lack of discipline right. too. I'm not picking at him. These are just things that happen. Now, right. th- does he have an experience that he'll ever, he'll always be able to take with him forever. You know, being able to have have global people icons recognize you and stop and dap you up, and you know, people know your name, whatever else. But ultimately, I go back to the very end of the article that he put out there. He said his name became one word: Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, not Jamarcus. Or Mr. Russell, or, it was Jamarcus <laughs> Russell, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't want to acknowledge that. What did he say his name was? Trinell? Trinell, or yeah. J-Rock. Something like that. Yeah. He, he started thinking of aliases when people would try and associate him with the person he thought was, was the public figure. Someone that he didn't want to be associated with. You see what I'm saying? Because of how, how publicly we look at that whole situation. Here's a unique opportunity, and you didn't take advantage of it, period. And so anybody that wants to scrutinize and judge, they're going to go ahead and do that. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? You know, ultimately, is he happy? You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't be associated with your, your happiness. Didn't, didn't have a bunch of zeros behind it. You know what I mean? So... I mean, I guess for some people it does, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I, I do want to ask you because I, you're an expert or your expertise in this particular uh, section of it is that you, you, you have a son who was drafted to the National Football League, Super Bowl champion, Bryson Hopkins. And I know how excited you were as a father to see your son win a Super Bowl because I tried to get your attention on the field after the game. And boy, I know your son won a Super Bowl, but I could tell you won the Super Bowl. But Brad, you were smiling ear to ear, running around at SoFi State. I couldn't even get my dog a hug. He was so excited. But you know, but in all seriousness, what you went through as a player and a first round pick, you mentioned the people who are around you and maybe try to pull you in different areas. 
what did you and this is I, I, I call this the 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 progress portion of for progress today what have you sort of instilled in your son and in order for him to have the most successful career in the NFL without having to worry about the outside distractors the same thing that his great grandfather instilled in his grandfather that his grandfather then instilled in me that I then instilled in both he, his brother, and his sister. Mm. There's just a way we there's a way that we do things. And I was taught early on, trained, if you will, uh, on just, you know, how to be a good person. You know what I mean? How to how to finish what I started. You know, just the habits of discipline mm. that it takes to be successful in life, period. You know, I have one son that's in the NFL. I have one son that might end up coaching someone to go into Major League Baseball. You know, these are two totally different walks. I support that. I have a daughter that wants to be an agent. I mean, how cool would that be? You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, they might even work, work in tandem with one another. You know, I might have, you know, Hopkins Agency. And yeah, there it is. You know, might be some things going on, you know. You never right. know. But, but it's their walk, and I support that. You see what I'm saying? It, but that was something that I learned. I guess we we are about as good as our resources, correct? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. People around us, you know. So sometimes it takes reaching out, you know, being uncomfortable to expand your resources to then give yourself different opportunities. I never was in, uncomfortable doing that. You know what I mean? Right. I played 13 years in the league, but I also sold cars, sold insurance, uh, was a restauranteer. <laughs> uh, you know, I did a, a, a gambit of different things. And even today I have multiple revenue streams, you yeah. know, to diversify risk. Right. Now yes. I can't wait to, to talk with one of our guests later on in the show Yeah, <laughs> you know, about situations like that. But, you know, just being able to make the connections, your, your, your network is your net worth. Mm. Think about that. And I just made that up. Yeah. Put that down. Yeah, I think your network, network is your network. Is your net worth. I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till you mentioned we're going to speak with Wale Agunlie in just a couple minutes. We're going to talk about, you know, just some of the, you mentioned the risks, the, the factors that not just athletes, he's also going into a sector of entertainment as well. And we don't talk even about our entertainers and some of the struggles that they also, it's always about the athletes, right? The NFL, NBA you know, Major League Baseball and how guys handle their financial uh, literacy. But what about our rappers and, and entertainers and dance, all of that? So I can't wait to get a chance to talk to him. But just kind of putting a button on this one, Brad, is that, you know, like I said, Jamarcus was my Jamarcus Russell was my teammate. And we we've, we've known more Jamarcus Russells throughout our careers from high school to college, NFL. This just happens to be the most publicized guy because he was drafted number one overall. But I've seen an undrafted player. I've seen a seventh round pick who's I even had a young player when I was transitioning out of the league. He was drafted to the league and his parent and his mom was trying to sign the contract for him so she could start getting some. <laughs> and literally, I'm glad that he came to me, sat down and he actually we had a meeting with him, his parents, his family, just let y'all know, hey. It ain't what y'all think. Not everybody's about to get rich. Yeah, it, I work closely with uh, I work closely with players now in in, in my regular capacity, and uh, yeah. the the whole my auntie's mad at me because I can't give her the money to do X. Correct. Uh, 
you know, the whole, uh, I told, you know, it's just, there are so many stories like that. That's why I said in the very beginning of our discussion, either resonates because it's familiar or you have no idea what we're talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I remember one time sitting in a hot tub uh, before practice, uh, the majority of us in the hot tub were, were brothers. Yeah. And oh, there was yeah. one one white dude in the, in the hot tub. No big deal. It's not like a race thing. But uh, we were all talking about somebody asking for money. And the white dude chimed in and said, you have family asking you for money? We all stopped. Exactly. Did just yeah. what you just did. Like, And you don't? He said, no. I mean, like, it was almost unheard of that family would ask for money in his situation. And we all laughed at the, the cultural differences, I guess, if you will. Because the let me hold something. That really exists in, in every single one of us there in that hot tub, except for him. You know what I mean? So yeah. that also yeah. shows you some of the pressures that we're talking about. That also shows you bringing up how uh, how old school that being you are, because we talk about the hot tub. That's the way brothers had to go ahead and warm up. You just can't go out there and stretch. We got to get into the hot tub. You got to get what? your body <laughs> Oh man, that's oh you bringing up some memories right there. Uh, but coming up next, Wale Agunlier, he's the head of sports and entertainment at UBS. We'll talk to him about financial literacy. Coming up next here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Wale Agunlier, the head of sports and entertainment at UBS, the former. Uh, 10 plus year veteran in the National Football League. And, you know, Wale, you've been uh, on the program before, so we can call you a friend of the program. But UBS's white paper, uh, The Family Ties, How Athletes and Entertainers Navigate Financial Expectations of Family and Friends. Before we get into that, me and Brad just had a, a discussion about one of my former teammates, Jamarcus Russell. Um, when you hear the name Jamarcus Russell, people obviously... Um, you think of, hey, a guy with a ton of talent, got paid a lot of money, which forced the NFL to change the structure of how they pay rookies, by the way, but considered one of the biggest busts in the NFL because of many, from what I saw, was the people around him, the people who also felt as if, hey, I made it. And mm-hmm. having to lend and loan, not just money, but your time, your energy, and take away of your focus. Mm-hmm. I know that's not what you focus on, but... What you, what you've seen in the last couple of years in you know in this division that you're working with with UBS, what have you seen and what has been your focus to sort of change what we've seen from players that have come up like Jamarcus Russell? Yeah, I think you know, great question, and thanks for for having me back on. I, you know, I told you anytime you guys need me, I'm I'm running. I think ultimately the industry has to do a better job of understanding who a guy like Jamarcus was or, or a guy like who you know I was. Um, our communities and the ecosystems around us. I think too many times um, we're put into this stereotypical box and um, the people around Jamarcus have treated him like a transaction and there wasn't a real relationship there. And that is the biggest, I think, problem with the financial institution when it comes to athletes. Most of us have had relationships with advisors or agents or lawyers that are just one-sided and all transactional. And what's disheartening about that is, you know, careers are short and we don't know who to trust. And that leads us down a path of making catastrophic mistakes, which 
we can't do because our career is too short for that and our, our earning potentials are really minute. So with that being said, instead of judging a guy like, like Jamarcus, the industry has to do a better job. Um, the organizations that draft young men like this need to understand those ecosystems. The financial advisors that get involved in these young men and women's lives need to do a better job of wanting to understand the communities that we come from. Um, and, and instead of trying to take the individuals out of these communities, um, let's get a plan together to help them um, financially be stable enough to that if they do want to give back to the community, it's, it's sustainable and um, it makes sense. And that's where, you know, my role at, at UBS and especially because, you know, I've experienced these things firsthand, um, I'm able to take the resources that we have and create these things like these white papers and talk about the psychology of it. So I know you don't think it's the same topic, Kirk, but it is. It's understanding mm. who Jamarcus is as a person, which is going to now help him and our advisors understand how he sees money and how he's going to invest and save. And, and if you don't see the big picture, um, that's where these mistakes happen. You would think that an industry that has so much invested in these players would have their own UBS, if you think about it from a franchise perspective. But that's the reason why we have customization in skills training, customization in financial literacy. Mm -hmm. um, the lack of support that these athletes get from a team perspective actually is mind boggling to me. Um, I was listening to reading his article uh, and he was referencing his relationship with a coach, a coach that's directly responsible for his development. He doesn't even have his phone number in his book. So you can see the disconnect and, right. you know, at what point, sure, do we then start saying, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or, you know, however that adage goes, right. because there probably is some truth to that. Just from your experience, you know, Wale, um, you were successful in what you did, but I'm sure people around you, you've seen the struggle. Just, you know, just talk about it for me from a support standpoint. Um, maybe that's something that was lacking in his experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. And what's sad about our industry, which makes, you know, little sense to me is that, you know, the the, the people who have been successful from a, a business side are right upstairs, um, but they've kept away from us. So what we were able to do from, you know, I think was balancing it out was they had veterans in the locker room that kind of helped balance it out for me, right? So I didn't have, you know, Wayne Heisinger, who was the owner of the Dolphins. I didn't have his personal number. Maybe a few guys did. I'm sure Dan Marino and the quarterbacks who normally do. Um, but then I had the veterans in the locker room that I could talk to. Then we're thinking we're taking progress. Then the league says, you know what? Let's get rid of the veterans. Yeah. And so these <laughs> the mid-level veterans. <laughs> so these young men don't even have the veterans that we had. So imagine how lost you know, a guy like Jamarcus Russell is or a, 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 a newer quarterback that's coming in where they don't even have someone that they can talk to as a man and say, these are the things that I'm going through off the field. Here's the pressures that I have dealing in this new city. Can you help me get through this? And it's a recipe for disaster. And it feels like everyone is sitting back happy that it's going to happen. Real, real quick, because I wanted to interject before we you know, went on to the next question. And I started thinking about this Kirk referenced when we were talking about Jamarcus um, that he was one of the reasons why the rookie pay scale was adjusted. You know, mm -hmm. guys were coming in unproven, making a ton of money, which would cause in the back end, you know, veterans like you and I, Wally, you and I, Kirk, to get yep. whacked. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, but what that also did was when he's the highest paid guy in the locker room, you know what I'm saying? The dichotomy gets set as forth. And if there's no one that makes more 
to basically say, sit down, young book. You see right. what I'm saying? To who's already established because of his experience. Right. You know, that speaks volumes too. So I think that that was one thing that also was adjusted when they made the rookies prove themselves before they could really get that first bite at the apple that makes a difference, not only financially, but their peg in the locker room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Wally, one of the things that I was, uh, you know, in, in reading and we always talk about the athlete aspect of it, mm-hmm. but what about the entertainer aspect of it? They aren't as um, publicized in terms of their financial literacy. Sometimes they more or less glorified and the chains, watches or cars or showing you what I've got. The big thing now is influencers showing, hey, look at me, look at me. Hey, I've got it. But what have you seen on the entertainer side of it? Not the, excuse me, the athlete side of it, but the entertainer part of it in terms of their final financial literacy and how they can improve. Oh, it's, 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 it's just as bad and, and even maybe it's worse. Because, um, you know, if you think about it from an entertainer side, the, if you, the hands that are in these young men and women's pockets from manager, toy manager, lawyer, agent, um, personal assistant, um, it's catastrophically more than what we've had. And the imagery that they're able to portray within social media, which is again, becoming a big problem too, um, is that, you know, I got it. Um, But a lot of these individuals don't have it. And um, that is causing, which, you know, they're a big part of influence in our society on how we do things. Um, They're causing us to want things that don't hold value and don't build legacy, the chains and the, the, the goods and the bags that we, you know, that we like, we, they like to, you know, portray on, on social media. Um, and then what happens now is people forget that these one hit wonders, which 99% of the music you hear on TV, on radio, they're one hit wonders. You're going to have the Drake's and the Beyonce's. Yes. But majority of the music you're hearing, you will not hear from these artists next year. And that's where the industry has not done a good job of explaining to um, everyone that your career is short-lived. And I think people, you know, tend to talk about four players as NFL stands for not for long. It's the same thing goes for the entertainment industry. Like you, you really not, there's really a, a bigger chance that um, trends move away from your music and your uh, music company moves away and finds the next big, biggest thing. And the way things work now, it's, you can have, you know, an influencer decide who's the next biggest star. So um, the entertainment industry is like, is just as just as bad, even if not worse than um, an athlete, um, because it's really filled with imagery that spending um, and buying that is just not sustainable for people in our community. Yeah. The, the, but the underlying word in the word famous is like infamy. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. to be famous, mm-hmm. what are you willing to sacrifice? And that's what I think the space, and I think one common denominator also with, between artists and, and athletes is the age, you know, that we're talking about, you know, very rarely do you see people our age all of a sudden come into the industry. And then right. Start making mistakes. Right. right now, it's always the young people that were found, you know, when our skin is the tightest, you know what I'm saying? When, we're, <laughs> when, we, when we look the most glamorous, right? And I think that, you know, if that's what happens when you're young and successful. You know, it's it, it's part of the part of the conversation, part of the narrative, and learning, I guess, the way that they learn. 
You know what I mean? Because those of us that come uh, into this world with opportunity, you know, we're already on a track of understanding exactly how to continue that generational wealth. Right. You know what I'm saying? But those of us that have to you know, forge our own way uh, sometimes have to make those mistakes. And that's living up to public perception and not being the dude that looks like an anomaly because he's because he's thinking long term, because he's smart with this whole thing. You know, it's like to fit in, you got to have excess and you got to waste. You know what I'm saying? We got to talk about all this stuff. I remember I, one of my roommates in college was a rapper, right? He used to talk about his Bentley and his um, whatever else. I'm like looking for this Bentley. Like, <laughs> you live in the room next to me, bro. What are you talking about? You know, but then that's the, that's the, that's what they're trying to live up to. You see what I'm saying? Unrealistic goals, you know, goals that are almost silly. Right. You know what I mean, I will say that I had 14 cars when I played the game, Wale, Kirk. 14 <laughs> cars. Jeez. That's because I loved Hot Wheels when I was a kid. I just played yeah. the game at an adult level when I got to be an adult. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> was it an excess? Yes. Does yeah. 52-year-old Brad look back and say, you big dummy? But, right. you know, that's what you do when you can do it. Right. Kanye said it, right? Yep. But why am I rich? So I can buy a house across the street from my baby's mama and, and, and almost be a stalker <laughs> or whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I'll leave you with this. Mm-hmm. The story of O.J. Simpson by Jay-Z. Just mm-hmm. Go listen to it. You know, yeah. because that really kind of wraps up. You know what I'm talking about, Kurt. Well, you know, know, you haven't heard that it. song. Yeah, oh. I know that song. Yeah. It, it, is so, it is so poetic for our conversation. Oh, it is. I mean? it is. It is. Because at the end of the day... No matter how much you know you spend and throw 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 money at it, they you know they see you a certain way, and um, uh, and we've got to stop chasing them demons, man. We got to stop chasing. Yeah, but you know what though, real quick, that's unfortunate how we've had to define ourselves, particularly as black men. You know what I'm saying? Because we're already feared, you know, in any situation, especially athletes, the size that intimidates most people around us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we have to show you we're successful, we're safe, we're whatever, right? And and we're somehow, you know, different. You know what I mean? Because we can afford, you know what I mean? Versus somebody that seems desperate and urgent because he doesn't have anything. You see, that's how we try and set ourselves apart as black men because white men don't have to do that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When they walk into a room, there isn't this anxiety that you feel in the room, you know, if it's not full of people like you, you know what I'm saying, to really kind of diffuse the, the atmosphere, so to speak. They don't have to do that, but we do. You know what I mean? Crazy is I, I told someone the other day, we were having a discussion that when I'm in a room with people, I, I tend to stand like this with my hands here um, because I don't I, I don't want to seem too intimidating on people. So I usually stand with my hands like this. And people are like, why do you, and my, almost my, my legs closed. Like I try to like diminish myself a bit because I know like people are so afraid of, you know, this big, you know, intimidating, you know, black guy. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of it too is, you know, in my own head too, but I, I do feel like I'm, I'm trying my best to, you know, make sure that everyone's comfortable with who I am. Cause I see as we walk in rooms, like people are taking notice. Right. And uh, you know, I, I'm just not sure when, and you know, we're going to be able to, you know, move in a way where, we're all comfortable and we can all speak our minds and, and, and be, you know, successful black men and all right. And not people have to be jealous of that. 
Yeah. Um, they see Kirk's neck and they're just like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Hey, brother, that's why I go to the dentist. I got to come in and smile, let them know. I'm smiling, right? Hey, hey, I, I am show that, that simple. Show them that simple. <laughs> you know right? how I go. Hey, I got to let everybody know. Hey, trust me, I am okay. This is a safe place for us all. But, you know, Walla, we got like about, about a minute. And I just wanted to let you get a chance to just speak on really quickly uh, the UBS white paper and how you people can obtain the information on what they can read, not necessarily a solicitation, but more on just information that's, you know, at their disposal, but they can read so that they don't fall down uh, similar paths that we've seen other athletes or entertainers fall down. Yeah, and no, I appreciate that. Again, this white paper is called Family Ties. For, for me, it's just the industry wanting to understand our ecosystem and the people around us. And then also, you know, giving, you know, the advisors the opportunity to want to understand us. And our athletes and, you know, need to know the question of, um, do I take care of my inner circle? And, and when do I take care of them? Having the power to say no, or even the ability to say not yet. You know, when it came to me, I, I told my mom and, and dad, I said, listen, I'm going to draft the free agent. So we're going to have to wait a little bit. And then even when I signed my big deal, I, it was a six-year deal. So I didn't get all the money up front um, and I had to play the contract guy. So even then they had to have a little more patience. So this paper gives, you know, some guidance on, on one, saying no, uh, and then two, giving our advisors the, the, the wherewithal to know that it's, it's, it has to be a relationship that you want to build, which means understanding our communities, who we are as men and um, and why it's important for us to build these legacy. And um, I'm excited to continue to have these conversations, right? It's not just about buying stocks and bonds. It's about understanding the psyche around money. And um, once you do that, you're going to be able to help, you know, teach people how to build a true legacy. So um, UBS.com backslash legacy is, is where you can find um, this piece. And um, I'm excited that you, you give me the opportunity to speak on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I yeah. always uh, always find myself feeling a lot smarter after I talk to you, oh, man. So, yeah, man. Hey, real quick, Wale, you, you can use this too. On my other capacity, I'm in player development, and we found that filling out forms is very effective for borrowers. Mm. You, know, you go ask somebody, ask one of your players, one of your entertainers, hey, can I hold something? And you say, yeah, here, here's a form. Fill it out real quick, and I'll send it yeah. in. Yeah, nine times out of ten, probably okay. ten times out of ten, nobody <laughs> filling out that form. Ain't coming back. Yeah, you didn't say back. no. You didn't <laughs> say no. Yep. All you gotta do is fill out the form, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I just throw out my wife. Hey, you gotta talk to the vice president. <laughs> you know, you talk to her. Yeah. Oh, 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 got, oh yeah. No, I'm all right, Kirk. All right, good. I saw. Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, I, saw a, I saw a meme on that. Like when when someone says I talk to my wife, that means that's a no. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Wale, man, appreciate it, man. Good to talk to you. We're going to catch up soon, all right? Thank you. <laughs> That's Wale Agunlier. He's the head of sports and entertainment at UBS and former NFL baller. Uh, but coming up, we're going to get into what's going on in Washington. Not, not Washington, D.C., the capital. We're talking about the Washington Commanders and Jack Del Rio, their defensive coordinator. We're going to talk about some of his comments he had about the incident on January 6th. Me and Brad are getting to that. Coming up next here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. You know, Brad, one of the bigger stories, I think, uh, over last week that really uh, needed some, 
I, I guess some of our talk we needed to just uh, for me I wanted to let out a little bit because the Washington Commanders defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio had some comments on Twitter uh, saying that the uh, January 6th the insurrection was more of a, a mere dust up and sort of compared it to the protests of George Floyd and said that, oh, they were similar. Kind of caught a lot of people off guard, especially people within his organization. Caught me off guard. Jack Del Rio was one of my coaches in the National Football League. Guy who I admired, guy who played in the league. Um, loved his expertise, loved his coaching style, and still considered a dude a, a friend of mine uh, who I can talk to, got his number I can lean on, ask some football questions, life questions. But in reading that, it also showed... And listening to the comments, um, he had posted them on his Twitter account. His Twitter account has now been deleted. Um, he was fined 100000 by his head coach at the Commanders, which is Ron Revere, uh, one of the minority coaches in the National Football League. And, you know, you, you think you know a person a lot of times, Brad, and then all of a sudden something like this comes out, a situation like this. And you never know what's always in someone's heart. You never know how they feel about protests or social justice inequality. You don't know. And then sometimes they make comments that they feel are, this is just how they feel. This is what they have in their heart. And when I just read this, it's it's something that, you know, obviously was taken back to a point where the commanders had to do something because this really was a distraction on their football team that you have a coach who, yes, we know about the first amendment, right? Okay. We get it. You know, your privilege of speech, you have that, but also with that speech comes great responsibility. And the responsibility is that what you said also affects the people around you. So the commanders had to do what they had to do. He's still coaching. He was not fired, but he was forced to meet with players not forced to, he did it openly, meet with players to give his side of it and what he felt. But again, you think you know a person and you hear this and you can take him back and you say, wow, like really, Jack? <laughs> Your thoughts on uh, the commanders and how they handled it, but also just the comments of Jack Del Rio. Where do you think we'd be as a plan if God gave us the ability to read minds? Oh man, that's not good. <laughs> My superheroes. Yeah. If I was a superhero, man. Woo. Yeah. The, the good thing about well, the good thing about being in teams, being in those environments where it's multicultural, where it's multi-ethnic, is that it takes every one of you to accomplish your goal. Okay. So at some point you put the differences that you have aside. Correct. I don't agree with everything and everyone that I played with. I don't like everything and everyone I played. That's a reality. Right. I don't have to make it public. I think the good thing about these, this thing is that. It, it opens the, the, the door for dialogue. Yes. Because that, I can sit there and point the finger at you. You're wrong. You're bad. You're wrong. Yes. You're bad. You're wrong. You're bad. Is that going to really change? Well, I'm sure glad that $100,000 changed the way Jack Del Rio thinks. Come on. Nah, come on now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the reality is at some point, you have to be able to have a discussion about why you think the way you do. And that if that can be done publicly, so be it. Most times it can't be because it's a very intimate, emotional conversation. Yes. So in my 52 years on this planet, I've had to determine one thing from the people I bump into. And that's all I want to know, first and foremost, especially for people that don't look like me. Are you a racist? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because that tells me a lot of where you come from. There are some people that I love dearly, you know, love dearly. 
probably would have stormed the, the Capitol too. Right. Because of just their upbringing, because of the way that they think. You see what I'm saying? Uh, their, their, their experiences in life, whatever, you know, those differences then can be discussed between people that I know, first off, are not racist. Right. And that there, there's a there's a baseline of which we're coming from to where we can start growing this conversation. Okay. I want to present information. I want to hear his information. Then we compare those notes. And we can do that because we're in a different space. We're not strangers. We're not, you know, in an opposition. We're not labeling. We're not from one group or another. You know, I think that one of the one of the most divisive situations that we're finding in this country is partisanship. Now, if we can find a way to get officials elected without the support of a left or a right or a dem or a rep or where, however we're classifying one another, these sound like gangs to me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I need to know the facts. I need to know your politics. I need to know who you, how you think. And then I make my determination from there, not from an expectation from one side or the other. If I'm conservative, I'm conservative. If I'm liberal, I'm liberal. But I don't need to make fun of you because you're conservative. I don't need to make fun of you because you're liberal because we never get anywhere. Yeah. You know. So the reason why I'm bringing that up is because Jack Del Rio's comments are not foreign. They're not unusual. They're not, right. you know, yeah. like, there are people that think that way. And guess what? There are people that are close to you that think the same way. Whether they've told you or not, that's another story. But what Jack did was he put his well, his comments out there publicly. Now, for those that don't know him, the dialogue begins in a different way. Yeah. I would imagine those like um, Chase Young, those like, you know, uh, you know Jonathan Allen, yes. their thoughts are different than Ed Reed's thoughts. I don't know how many conversations Ed Reed and Jack Del Rio have. How much familiarity do they have? I don't know if Ed Reed has had the ability to ask Jack Del Rio, are you a racist? To know whether or not he's not coming from a place of which side or the other. You know, Chase Young, obviously his relationship is different. Right. You know, Jonathan Allen's relationship is different. They feel that maybe the conversation is different. But then maybe it's in this dialogue that Chase presents more, uh, more evidence that, in fact, first off, the whole conversation is based on falsehood. You know, you know what I'm saying? Just try, yeah. try and come to a place of fact, not emotion. And when you deal in that perspective right there, you know, facts are a stubborn thing. Not the alternative facts. You know, two plus two never equals five. Yeah. It never does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And just because an apple is round and it's a fruit and an orange is round and is a fruit, that doesn't make them taste the same. Because they're not the same. <laughs> they're not the same, man, at all. I hear you. So that's all. But, so all I'm saying is that, look, we're not all going to think the same way. Mm-hmm. And nor will we ever. You know? So no. then how do we present dialogues that then get us to comedy? Yeah. And then also you can pull over U-Hauls that have 31 white supremacists in them going to go do whatever. Like I said, we don't know in this country. Everybody, uh, you don't know. You don't know. So... Man, Brad is <laughs> in a U-Haul. I know. Brad, man, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks as always for hopping on, man. For uh, Wale Gunley, who joined us a little bit earlier, and our producer, Mr. Pernell Brown. Thank y'all for uh, taking this ride with us here on Forward Progress. I'm Kirk Morrison. We'll catch you next time. Peace.